Welcome back to the Vine Church Podcast. Today, we will be continuing our devotional series, The Gospel According to Zechariah. If you haven't already, you can find us on YouTube at the Vine Church Heart, and we'd love to have you join us over there. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to our devotionals in Zechariah. Uh, this morning, I'm going to read from the end of chapter 13 of Zechariah and into chapter 14, and just kind of give an overview of chapter 14. It says this, In this land, this is the Lord's declaration. Two-thirds will be cut off and die, and a third will be left in it. I will put this third through the fire. I will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people, and they will say the Lord is our God. Look, a day is coming belonging to the Lord. When the plunder taken from you will be divided in your presence. I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem for battle. The city will be captured, the houses looted and the women raped. Half the city will go into exile, but the rest of the people will not be removed from the city. Then the Lord will go out to fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. On that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. The Mount of Olives will be split in half from east to west, forming a huge valley, so that half the mountain will move to the north and half to the south. You will flee by my mountain valley, for the valley of the mountains will extend to Azal. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of the King Uzziah of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come and all the holy ones with him. Now, I could carry on to read the whole of the chapter and I I won't, but Zechariah 14 is notoriously complicated and hard to interpret. You find pretty much a unique view from every scholar you go to. And... When you read through the whole thing, it's not hard to see why. There are really hard things to take with it. An easy option, which some feel um, almost a kind of smugness to have because everyone else just can't read it as simply as they can, is to say, well, it's all uh, completely strictly literal. Jesus is going to come in the future and land on the Mount of Olives and his feet, and and the mountain is going to split underneath his feet and uh, it talks about things happening around various points of Jerusalem as those literal things are going to happen. The, the problem is, as soon as you apply this strictly literally, you find that the passage actually starts to contradict itself. And so I think there's more to it than that. But also, as we've gone through Zechariah, we've found that Zechariah, and like the genre that's found in apocalyptic literature, like the book of Revelation, for instance, like big parts of Ezekiel, use very, very real sounding symbols to make a big point, these very explicit signs. For instance, when Zechariah was talking about the horseman, there was lots of detail. He talked about one of the horsemen standing next to a water pit, for instance, and and kind of gave some description to that. Why so much detail for just a vision? And so I think it'd be a bit inconsistent to have taken symbol, 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 and suddenly you get to this really confusing chapter, and now it's no longer symbol, it's all very literal. But I just wanted to look at how 13 goes into 14, and as I say, give an overview of chapter 14. So chapter 13 ends with this passage, really, of judgment, that uh, the Lord has all these people in the land, and a third of them are going to be kept, but two-thirds are going to be killed. It's quite a a stark passage, really. We're not really used to language like this. And then that carries on into chapter 14, where the Lord says that he is bringing a day where Jerusalem will have nations gathered against it to fight it and uh, the cities captured, the houses looted. 
and uh, the women defiles, half the city go into exile. The rest of them will not be removed. Now, symbolic or not, this is clearly a uh, significant judgment. God is bringing nations to gather against his holy city to destroy it. Now, as with pretty much all symbols, I think that the symbol is not just a symbol in itself, it's trying to make a point. And one of the things we've seen as we've gone through Zechariah is the Lord plans to restore his people from within. The Lord has big plans for this new city of Jerusalem. And, and subtly we've seen that Jerusalem and the temple are starting to be seen in categories bigger than a place in Israel, you know, a building in the city. They're starting to be seen as this kind of living organism that God is planning to build, and, and that's his people. And so I don't think that Jerusalem here, uh, sorry, I don't think that it would be right to, to assume every time we see Jerusalem is talking about the city. But what Zechariah has set up is this great optimism, this great hope, this great expectation that the Lord is re-establishing Jerusalem. But then as we finish chapter 13 go into 14, now it seems to be the other way around. And now the Lord is cursing Jerusalem and destroying it and the people in it. And you think, well, why has he gathered everyone together if he's now going to be judging them? Why is he blessing them if it's just for a curse? And I think that the problem is, I made this point a few weeks ago. As soon as you start to talk about renewing Jerusalem and, you know, Galatians, for instance, talks about the new Jerusalem, it, begs, it causes us to ask the question, what about the old Jerusalem? What about what was left? And it's not really complete to talk about the Lord's work of renewal without talking about the Lord dealing with what was left. If he's going to bring about a new faithful Jerusalem, what's going to happen to the old unfaithful Jerusalem? And, and I believe, at least, that the end of chapter 13 and going into 14 is describing that day when the Lord will begin his assault on ungodliness, on unfaithfulness, on idolatry, by first removing uh, Jerusalem, the old Jerusalem, the Jerusalem which, when, uh, when their God came to them, rejected him and killed him. If you want to find an epicentre of all godlessness, all idolatry, Look at first century Jerusalem. They killed God. And uh, so now the Lord, prior to that, knowing that it will happen, the Lord is prophesying against Jerusalem. Now, I just want to make this quick point. One of the things I find so interesting about this is that when Jesus stands in Jerusalem and, uh, and utters a prophetic discourse, where he, he condemns the temple and the city itself, and he gives some very detailed descriptions of how it's going to come down, of how it's going to be destroyed, he's standing on the Mount of Olives as he does it. And so one of the reasons why I'm inclined to take these verses quite symbolically is because I just can't escape the fact that the Lord did have his feet standing on the Mount of Olives, facing Jerusalem, and utters such a um, strong rebuke and condemnation of it that it ends in the whole city being destroyed 40 years later and so i do think that there is a sense in which this is describing jesus's first century coming that on that day his feet will stand on the mount of olives which faces jerusalem on the east and the mount of olives will be split in half from east to west i'm not sure that it needs to be split in half literally for for the symbol to be true the lord has has split if you like the jewish half in world uh, the the Jewish world in half, not the Jewish half in world, the Jewish world in half in his first century coming. 
And one other point that I just want to make before we kind of look at some devotional value of this. One of the reasons why I say if you take this completely literally, it ends up contradicting itself is because at the beginning, the Lord has gathered the nations there. He has thought he's the one who brought them and he's brought them to attack Jerusalem. He's brought them to fight against it. But then in verse three, it says, then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights on a day of battle. So is the Lord bringing them to attack Jerusalem or, or is he attacking them? Is he defending Jerusalem or is he, atta- or is he attacking Jerusalem? Now, I think that the answer is both. And if you prepare to just hear some, uh, some, well, I hope not creative license, but trying to use symbols that prophets use, is nations, the nations is used throughout the Bible to simply describe godless, idolatrous heathens, those who don't know God, those outside of the camp of Israel. The nations is like a byword for those who don't worship God rightly. And so what we're finding is we're finding uh, idolaters, godless people are gathered to attack Jerusalem, which is supposed to be the epicenter of holiness. But then as Jerusalem is attacked, then the fight goes up to the nations. Then the Lord goes to the nations. And I think there's two things going on here. I think the first century Jerusalem has become so idolatrous that Jerusalem is indistinguishable from the nations. And the other thing is, God destroying Jerusalem in 70 AD is his first uh, assault, if you like, on the forces of darkness that has been continuing to this day. So they're not disconnected. It's not as though God dealt with Jerusalem and then put his feet up and then said, oh, in a few thousand years, I might deal with idolatry. The Lord has been working his way through the nations for the last 2000 years. It started with Jerusalem and now he is uh, continually bringing his kingdom to bear. So that's kind of that basic point and just before i finish i just want to say as you go through chapter 14 one of the things you find is that judgment never exists just for judgment god brings a blessing to his people through the judgment you have so much uh, good positive things to take from this chapter which we'll explore later in the week it begins with the judgment the same way that we often begin with bad news and then go into good news the old jerusalem is going to be destroyed but my goodness, look at the blessings God has in store for his people. As I say, we'll explore them a bit later. So I think if there's any devotional value to be taken from the fact that the Lord is going to destroy Jerusalem in the first century for Zechariah's hearers and for us as uh, people who live 2,000 years after the event, I think it's this. The Lord is so zealous for his people that he's not prepared to say, oh, yeah, I'll create a new one, but the old one can continue existing as though they're fine. He makes his point that, No, 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 you are my people, not them. Here's the evidence. The Lord has established his church, established his new Jerusalem by removing the old. And I think we've got to find value in that. We've we've got to see the uh, historical value, um, not sorry, not historical value, the um, covenantal value that that city had. What does it mean that God destroys it in order to make room for his people? It tells us really how precious we are to him. So anyway, I'll finish there and uh, we'll pick it up a bit more, this rather confusing chapter in the next couple of days. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're zealous. Lord, we thank you that you care for your people, that you care for your restoration of Jerusalem project that you have been doing for the last few thousand years. 
And Lord, we just pray that you would really show us how valuable we are as your holy city to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining me and I'll see you later. Bye.